We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. We're talking players 1 through 12 of the Rotoviz redraft rankings and why they may fail to live up to expectations on Rotoviz Radio. What's up, Rotoviz? Hey everyone, welcome on Into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined tonight by the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matthew Friedman. What's going on, Matt? Uh, not much. Just uh, another week. Uh, two kind of exciting things have happened uh, recently. One, Iowa uh, has passed the sports betting bill. Uh, which means I can now sports bet legally uh, in Iowa. Let me rephrase that. In the future, I will be able to sports bet legally in Iowa, uh, as well as play fantasy sports, which is the uh, the kind of bigger part of that. Uh, so that is exciting. Uh, and then also I've started uh, creating um, hockey projections uh, randomly, just kind of started doing that. So uh, that's something that I'm, I'm focused on uh, for you know just a little bit of time. But uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, process to go through. I, and I think like the the process of having to think about another sport, especially one that I don't know, um, yep. I, I'm hoping it will kind of help me uh, evaluate a little bit more uh, my process with NFL and how to create projections there. Do you have any and I know you're probably just getting into this process, but thoughts um, up front, maybe that you can share with us right now of maybe things that it's caused you to reconsider for when you do get back to doing your NFL projections. 
not re- I mean, I guess part of it is just kind of how to think about um, always wanting to use uh, market share, um, but maybe kind of like inventive ways of using market share, maybe ways I hadn't really thought of before. Um, but I still don't even know how that would apply to NFL and, and what I might be looking to kind of do more market share analysis of. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I am right now. Just uh, still still working my way into the NHL projections, but like I've done uh, pretty well using them so far. So uh, anyway, that's interesting, at least. Yeah, actually, that that is. Um, and it's interesting thinking about another sport and the things that you might. Well, it's different, I guess, because now you're so used to doing things with fantasy and doing projections and you take that into the other sport. And as you start working through there, maybe you realize that there's things that you just left over in your process in the sport that you came from that you maybe don't need anymore or things along those lines. So I can see how yeah. you might be stumbling so, upon some of that. I, I mean, I don't want to give away almost kind of like, uh, let me rephrase this. I don't want to uh, talk about the extent to which I totally sucked in my rankings process previously, but um, there was something I, I started doing with NHL where it was like, oh, I need to, I need to calibrate this projection in a certain way. And then I was like, oh, wait, I need to do that in NFL too. Like I, I, I realized like, oh, I've never done this before in the NFL and it probably Probably doesn't make all that big of a difference, but it I, like it will make some. It'll it'll make I don't know a difference from like one to five percent in terms of like how something is kind of calculated. And it's like yeah, that that'll probably make some sort of difference. But even even if like. Uh, in any given week, it wouldn't really make all that big of a difference in terms of this player being ranked ahead of that player. Like in the long run, it's important for me to continue to kind of learn about my process and fine tune it. Yeah, for sure. And um, talking about rankings is what we're going to be doing to some degree on this episode. And as I alluded to before, I think that um, until you sit down and try to do like a set of 240 players and rank them, you don't realize all of the things that can go into it. And you know what's funny for me, I find sometimes it's actually easier for me to set the top 12 than it is to set the bottom like, uh, you know, 240 yeah. to 230, 228 type of range. And that's probably because you have much more information, information that you feel better about. Um, but yeah, there's always things you can do to tweak the process. Yeah. I mean, it's just easier to project the guys at the top. Um, the guys at the bottom, there's so much that's just kind of contingent uh, for their success. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Much easier to project the guys at the top. Yep. Now, a couple of um, quick, important announcements here. Uh, we currently have a 30% listener-only discount for a NFL subscription available through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. After this week, that is going to be getting reduced. So if you want that early bird discount, definitely get in there. Uh, make the best decision that you will make all fantasy season. Head over to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast and get that 30% listener only discount. Well, it still stands. So before we get into looking through these rankings, um, I love my cat and I love my dog, but I have come to realize with the amount. Did you hear that? That was the cat knocking over some bottles. Yeah, I, I, I heard that. So my dog, I, I know that you have a, a little dog as well that I've heard bark sometimes. Yeah. How often does your dog bark? 
Um, never while I'm podcasting or doing something <laughs> professional. No. Um, I mean, only when, um, you know, like a delivery truck is in the driveway or something like that. Okay. My dog just barks anytime there is somebody going by the house. Um, anytime, basically she's like perpetually barking. Anytime she hears something, anytime there's any change in animal activity outside of the house, which is pretty frequently, anytime the cat gets up and does anything. So she's basically like constantly barking. And I finally realized tonight that my quality of life is actually being lowered by the amount that she barks. But it's it's odd because I would say that like she boosted on some level, but like my blood pressure is definitely up because of her. She's taking years off my life, Matt. Yeah. Um, you think it's a net negative having the dog? It actually might be like as much as I love this dog, I just, well, especially too, like when you have a, a baby, well, she's not a baby at this point, but you know, like a toddler that you're trying to get to sleep and the dog's barking and stuff like that too. Like it just, it adds an, it adds another dimension. Here's a question. Which did you have first, the kid or the dog? The dog. Did the dog bark uh, like this before you had the kid? She barked a lot, but the thing was, I was able to give her more attention to mm-hmm. calm down the barking, which now, you know, I don't have as much energy for that. Yeah. So I think you got to get rid of the kid. I think that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty obvious answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you can, you can take that one to my wife and see what she thinks. Yeah. Uh, I right. want to get involved. Okay. So what I want to talk about on this episode is the consensus one through 12 in our rankings at Rotoviz by the redraft team. And I want us to go through each player and come up with reasons why they may not live up to that round one top 12 overall type of player expectation. Uh, because one of the most exciting things I think for a lot of people out there in fantasy is when you get that first overall pick. And, you know, it's probably the thing that you scrutinize the most or, even if you don't get the first overall pick, it's that round one pick that you often feel like anchors your fantasy team. So we're still a ways away from the season. But like I said, these are players that we have a lot of information on. So I want to think about them and you and I talk about weaknesses that there may be with these players that could cause them to fall out of that, uh, you know, yeah. top 12 overall finish at the end of the season. Yeah, because I mean, it's hard to uh, it's hard to win your league if you whiff on your first round pick. Um, like anecdotally, I don't know if I've ever won a league in which, uh, my first rounder totally sucked. So, uh, yeah, you kind of had to get it right. Yeah. I think I only have one example of that. And I think it's because the league that I was in was with a lot of people that it was either their first time playing or they just, you know, like didn't really care. There you go. Got to play with a a bunch of people who suck. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, All right, so we will start from the bottom and work our way up to the top. David Johnson actually makes our top 10 um, just barely, or excuse me, yeah, makes our top 10. I actually said 12, so I need to move back here. Let's go to 12. Juju Smith-Schuster, some people have him very high. Um, His lowest in our rankings is at 19, but he comes in at 12 for us. So I think if you're going to make the case against Juju, Obviously, the place that you would start is that he was being inflated or his stats were at least by Antonio Brown being there. I guess you could also say maybe now somewhat uh, the identity of this team has changed, but I don't know if there's anything in his actual numbers that you can point to 
that uh, give huge concern, especially as it seems likely that his opportunity should increase fairly dramatically. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the um, the the case against Juju, uh, I think there are maybe two big things. So one would be that uh, like all of the projections for increased opportunity um, might be overblown and that he was being targeted almost as much as Antonio Brown was. Like it would be hard for him to be targeted much more than he already was targeted last year. So I think that would be one of the the cases against him is that it's just like projecting enhanced target volume um, might be too aggressive. Um, right. And then secondly, and I think this is probably the bigger thing, um, you know, he played a lot in the slot last year. He wasn't like exclusively in the slot, but he was primarily in the slot. And is he going to stay there? Like he, he was like a very, I don't want to say like Mike Thomas esque type of slot dominant force last year, but like, um, he really did his best work playing in the middle of the field. And with Antonio Brown gone, are they looking for Juju to move outside and to play kind of like a uh, a more well-rounded role? Or are they going to leave him in the slot where he's had success? Um, so I think that uncertainty of exactly how they're going to use him um, could also factor into uh, maybe more doubt with his projection. Yeah, I definitely think that can make sense. and and. To the point about um, the increase in production, yeah, he had so much production last season that I would say at most you'd probably only want to add in like three more targets per game. Um, <laughs> that would be even three three more targets per game. It's like, it's like this guy game. this guy is crushing the rest of the league in targets. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean that would be that would be so aggressive, and it, it's possible. But um, you know, like the the offense as a whole could regress uh, with Antonio Brown gone. Um, you know, maybe they don't have as much, you know, quote unquote luck in the running game with James Conner. Maybe, you know, like Conner regresses a little bit. Um, you know, maybe Juju isn't quite as efficient with Antonio Brown gone at turning, uh, targets into yards. Um, maybe his, uh, his, you know, his completion or his catch rate goes down and his yardage per target goes down. Um, so even though he's getting a higher number, like a slightly higher number of targets, maybe he's more inefficient with them from a yardage perspective, but like on the bullish right. side, he's going to get more touchdowns, you know, cause he's just going to get more, uh, red zone targets than he had last year. So, uh, yeah. I still think there's obviously a case to be made for him, but you can see you can see the case against him. Yeah, I definitely think that you can. Um, having said that, though, I think as far as some of these players that we're going to see in our top 12 go, I think that I see less uh, issues with him than others. So I actually have him seven overall. I'm going to take a guess here, and I know we've mentioned him a couple times before. He's probably firmly in your top 12. Um. You know, he might not be just because uh, I think I probably maybe go a little too heavy on uh, running backs to begin yep. with. Um, I just, you know, I, I know uh, zero RB um, is alive and well and, you know, like it's, yep. we're, you know, I mean, Rotoviz is basically a zero RB site, but um, I still can't help but uh, really prioritize running backs uh, pretty high in my drafts. Okay. So Melvin Gordon actually comes in at number 11 for us. Is he one of these backs that you feel good about or can you make a compelling case against him? I mean, I feel I, I don't feel good about any running back, but I just feel <laughs> like if uh, like the 
like what is worse than having a uh i don't know well I, i'm gonna no I, I i can't say that because it's stupid but uh i i feel like running back is so fragile that i know it's uh, a horrible position to be invested in and yet i feel like um the only thing worse than investing in it is not investing in it. Um, because if you don't have one of these premium running backs, I think it's, it's pretty hard to, to win your league. But anyway, so I don't feel good about Melvin Gordon, but he's definitely in my top 12. And, um, you know, the, the case for him is pretty clear. He's been super productive. He's a three down back the case against him. Um, you know, he's aging. He's never really been all that efficient, um, his offensive line did improve last year, but that could be kind of a fluky thing. Uh, Philip Rivers uh, is old. That offense could start to regress. Uh, and then Austin Eckler, um, I think, is a pretty talented player and could start to steal more uh, three down work from Melvin Gordon. So especially in PPR, if he starts to lose some of the receptions you were hoping he would get, um, then that could really be a thorn in his side. Yeah, and um, I, I do want to mention, though, that uh, last season, we, we probably don't want to lose sight of the fact that he was doing exceptionally well until uh, he missed time later on right. in the season. However, though, that obviously, like with all running backs, does give some cause for concern. And I do think that uh, some of the other backs on that team performed, you know, we've seen them perform well when filling in for him. So there is the possibility, too, that they don't need him to shoulder quite as much of the load. Um, so, you know, he comes in as high as six for one of our rankers and his lowest ranking was 17. I actually had him outside of the top 12 at number 14, despite how much I, I liked him last year. I think it's just a case for me this season of there's more players that I feel better about. Yeah. And I think in general, you're just higher on wide receivers than I am. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely possible. So, uh, David Johnson who I'd mentioned uh, before we mentioned those two actually makes his way into our top 10 off of a disappointing season. I think that a lot of this optimism is stemming from the changes made inside the organization, new coaching staff. You have a new quarterback, a lot of talent getting injected in there. So obviously the biggest weakness here might be that we are just extremely over projecting what that Cardinals offense is going to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is people are acting as if David Johnson had this horrible season last year. He still had almost 1,400 scrimmage yards and 10 touchdowns. Like, that's that's a pretty decent season. It's just that people were expecting him to be, you know, like a top four fantasy producer, and he didn't live up to that. Um, right. But he was still, like, more than viable as a running back in general. Um, but, yeah, the, the case against him is uh, he will be 28 this year. Um, maybe the, the air raid, uh, experiment <laughs> will just, uh, blow up. And, uh, even if he plays in all 16 games, he won't see the, the touches, especially the targets that you maybe thought he would have. Uh, and then maybe he just loses some of his work in general. Maybe they give more work to, uh, to chase Edmonds. Um, so, and, and then also like, especially because now they have a running quarterback in Kyler Murray, like you've seen running backs before who, uh, would have gotten targets on checkdowns, lose a lot of that work, um, because the running back instead, sorry, the, uh, the quarterback, instead of, of, uh, dumping it off, just chooses to run the ball. So it is possible that David Johnson could lose a lot of targets. You might expect him to get, 
uh, one, because of Chase Edmonds, and then two, just because Kyler Murray decides to uh, to run instead of throw. And then also, like, maybe he's just not that good of a running back. You know, like, running up the middle has never been his strength. Um, and as he's gotten older, and then maybe, like, with the, the air raid system, like, maybe they're just not very good at running the ball in general. Maybe they don't do it all that often. So it's just a question of, like, how many times is he actually going to touch the ball? Yeah, and... Last season, uh, just to put it in perspective, he did actually finish at the end of the season. Uh, RB11 in PPR did have 10 touchdowns. So that's actually like for what, again, you know, some people are considering a bad year, a, a decent touchdown uh, number, uh, seven on the ground, three through the air. So, you know, I don't think that we could really project him to to really improve that too much either. So if some of these other areas don't break or we do see that that usage go down and there's you know, less yardage per game, that could be problematic. Who do you feel better about though, Johnson or uh, Gordon? Gordon. Yeah, I think I do too. Um, and naturally that is going to stem, at least for me, from the situation that they are in. Yeah, more established offense. Uh, although, I mean, the Arizona offense is really intriguing, but more established offense. And then Gordon, I believe, is a year younger. Which doesn't feel... Uh, like it should be that way. Like in my mind, I'm still viewing David Johnson as a young spry back, but that just really isn't the case. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, although, Melvin Gordon is, uh, yeah, like I guess a year and a half, maybe even like two years younger. Like Melvin Gordon yeah. is 26 this year. David Johnson turns 28 at the end of the season. Right. So Johnson was pretty old when he came out then. Yeah, he was 24. 24. Yeah, which was one of the one of the other blemishes, I think, that uh, turned some people off of him. Hey, before we continue through, I do want to mention, um, I was in rookie drafts throughout the weekend. And the thing that always um, amazes me is just how like different one league can be from the other. I saw Debo Samuel go in the top six picks in one league wow. and we're at the 210 in another and he still hasn't gone. So like, it's always just amazing to me the the variation between leagues. Yeah. Um, when did Kyler Murray go? Uh, Kyler Murray went in one of my leagues right at the turn and then he actually went at the 110 in one league. Yeah. Uh, like I was thinking, uh, was it at 112? like months ago where you drafted him, that might've ended up being yeah. uh, a, a good value there. Yeah, I think, it, I think it definitely was. Um, And actually that draft, no, it wasn't that I had the first pick. So I got in Keel Harry at the one, and then I got Kyler Murray at the, uh, at the 2.1. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's pretty good. I think that's yeah. pretty good value. Yeah, I'll take it. So I feel good about that, especially at the time you had made me you you made me question myself. I, yeah, but, uh, I, I did make you question yourself. I apologize about that. I'm I'm way too high on Kyler Murray now in comparison to the rest <laughs> of the industry, but I really don't even care. Yeah. Um Devontae Adams is the next player on our list. I've historically well, I shouldn't say historically, but the last couple of seasons I've been a big proponent on Adams. Uh, I actually have him at 11 this season, which is a little bit of a fall. I have him behind um, a couple other receivers. I really don't know what to do with this Packers offense for a second consecutive season now. How do you feel about Adams? Yeah, I um, I like Adams, but um, he subsisted primarily through targets. Like It's not as if he was hugely efficient with his targets, like on, on a per target basis, he just was targeted more than almost anyone else in the league. Um, it's not to say like he was inefficient with his targets, but, um, yeah, he's primarily a volume guy. Uh, and so there are questions about, uh, Aaron Rodgers, 
Um, is he going to be healthy? What is that offense going to look like under a new, uh, a new play caller? Um, I don't have really like reservations about Devonte Adams, but, um, it wouldn't be surprising, uh, if there are other guys who just are better than him at the wide receiver position this year. Um, you know, like I think you could come up with five guys who pretty easily could be better than Adams. So I don't know if I would want to draft him in the first round. Um, like I would rather have, I mean, I, obviously Hopkins will be gone by the time Adams is is uh, going off the board. But um, I don't know. I would rather have Beckham. I would rather have, I think I would rather have Juju. So it's not even so much that like I think Adams will be so bad that he falls out of um, of the value of a first rounder. I think it's just there will be other guys who outproduce him. Definitely. And I don't know if this is a, a real great way to look at things, but when you're you know, splitting hairs with some of these top level players, you do have to account for that players are going to have variance from year to year. We've seen Adams go in 2016, 12 touchdowns, uh, 10 and 17, 13 last season. You know, I don't know if, uh, you know, you can expect 13 touchdowns again. Maybe it drops down to 10 or 11, but with these top level players that can, you know, make the difference. And also um, last season, 169 targets, you know, that's, that's tough to get to that point. So yeah, for me, like, I don't know if I can point to that many negatives with Adams, but I do think when I compare him to some of these other receivers, I just, I'm a little more optimistic. Yeah. Like I would rather have, okay, obviously, uh, Deandre Hopkins, I'd rather have Beckham. I would rather have Michael Thomas. I'd rather have Juju. I'd probably rather have Julio. Um, Yeah, I have Julio above him. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's not all that hard to see why he could or should fall out of the first round. Right. Okay. Um, moving along here, uh, Odell Beckham comes in at eight for us. And, uh, you know, he is for me, actually, I have him behind Adams. I'm just not as confident about um, Beckham being able to rack up this huge production in Cleveland as others are. Before I give my thoughts, do you have any? Yeah, I mean, I can see that. And that that is the um, the bearish case for him and that he's going to a new team. Historically, uh, wide receivers haven't done all that well uh, in their first season with a new team, with the new quarterback. Um, the big thing is Jarvis Landry is there. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to say like we should expect Jarvis Landry to do what he did in Miami where he just gets a ton of targets. Um, but you know, it wouldn't be surprising if Beckham saw fewer targets than he has, uh, in the past because some of them are just going to have to go to Landry. So, uh, I can't tell, is your dog disagreeing with me or, um, does your dog agree with me? Well, the cat left left the room, so now she's barking as she does. And we're in the basement, so normally the, there's less barking in the basement because it's kind of like an isolation chamber from the rest yeah. of the world, if you will. We're going to go with that she's actually – she looks pretty agitated, so I don't think she's agreeing with you. Okay. Well, your your dog doesn't know uh, what she is talking about. But yeah, <laughs> I mean it's I, – I am very uh, optimistic, I'll say, on uh, Odell Beckham, but I can, I can see how it could all go uh, – how how it could all go poorly very quickly. Right. Well, I think this is the case that you would make against him. When he was in New York, we never saw him really get over. Um, don't quote me on this, but I think like 
we could say somewhere around like 155 targets would have been a very high volume for him. I don't think you can project that volume being surpassed. I I really think like a 140 target would be a pretty darn good outcome for him, for him in 2019. And perhaps some of the efficiency that you would have seen goes down. Also, it's not necessarily clear that Baker Mayfield might be quite as good as others would hope. And there are other players there that can score touchdowns. They have Nick Chubb, who they can use in the red zone. Perhaps uh, Kareem Hunt gets into the mix later on in the season. I think that Jarvis Landry could be used in the red zone. Obviously, they have David Njoku. So the focus and the use of Beckham on this team might be different. And uh, there are the other aspects that you talked about him switching teams, playing with a new quarterback. So I just don't know if it's as much of a slam dunk as people would like to think. I think that's probably the case against him. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. Obviously, we should expect um, fewer targets. But last year on a per game basis, uh, when you extrapolate it out to 16 games, uh, he was pacing for uh, 165 targets. Um, so obviously fewer targets, uh, we should expect from him, but, um, he still had like a Julio esque type of like, he was pacing for 1400 yards, receiving eight touchdowns, but that's a, a pretty good year. Um, I think even with fewer targets, um, we should probably expect him to be more efficient because he has, I'd say clearly a better quarterback than last year's Peyton Manning. Um, and he also, Eli. Sorry, yes, Peyton Manning, yes, Eli Manning, uh, or, or Peyton Manning for that matter. I think he would have been better off with Peyton, to be honest. But. Yeah, but uh, I, I think, um, you know, also uh, Todd Monken as the new offensive coordinator there uh, with Cleveland, like I think he's going to bring like a very downfield, aggressive type of offensive system, uh, and I think that will suit Beckham well. So um, I'm still going to be bullish on him, but it's it's not hard to see why um, – he could fail, you know, new team, new quarterback, uh, fewer targets. Uh, yeah. Like first year head coach, like that could easily fail. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about Cleveland, but I can see how this could just become a a complete disaster compared to expectations because it is the Browns we're talking about here. Yeah. Hi, Rotoviz fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. While it may be the off-season for most people, it definitely is not for our listeners or the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily starting at just a $35 entry fee. If you're a fan of the Dynasty format, over the last few years, the FFPC has been become the go-to destination for serious dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active dynasty leagues starting at $77. They even have a $5,000 entry dynasty league and not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years. Limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now and brand new startup dynasty leagues will be opening shortly. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long, high-stakes fantasy football. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. 
Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. All right. So we have Michael Thomas coming in at number seven. So the crew is feeling better about him. Then they are Odell Beckham. Making a case against Thomas. I got to be honest. I think it's kind of hard. Yeah. Um, I think it's I don't I actually don't think it's that hard, although I do like him. Um yep. he's going to be more inefficient in his catch rate. Like last year he had eighty five percent as his catch rate. Yeah. Um that's a good on point. <laughs> on hundred and forty seven targets. Like he was one of the most targeted guys in the league. Um there's just no way that uh that catch rate is going to sustain if he is targeted as frequently. So I think that's one of the things. Uh he's just he's going to have almost certainly fewer receptions. Um and then I think it's also possible that um, that Saints offense could somehow become even more run heavy. Um, like we've seen the past two years that they've really shifted away from the the pass heavy system that we've seen uh, for you know basically like the last twelve years uh, under Drew Brees and uh, and Peyton uh, as the head coach. So I could see a situation where they continue to run the ball, uh, maybe with. Um, Latavius Murray, Murray. yeah, as the guy who uh, kind of like gets maybe more running game work than people expect. And then maybe more of the passing game work continues to go to Alvin Kamara. And so instead of targets going out to Michael Thomas, they're going to Kamara. You add Jared Cook, who's uh, I'd say probably the best tight end that they've had since um, the, uh, the Jimmy Graham days. And maybe he starts to get some of those targets in the middle of the field that otherwise would have gone to Michael Thomas. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can see it, but I still think he's a guy that, uh, you probably lock in for like at least 1200 yards. Well, they are dusting off some of the Jimmy Graham plays for Jared cook. So we need to be concerned about that. <laughs> have, um, they, have they actually said that? Yeah, they have. Yeah. That, that okay. came out recently. Uh, yeah, they're dusting off the Jimmy Graham plays. Yeah. I love the takes. Or I love when teams put out stuff like that. Uh, you make a very solid point there about the efficiency. I mean, that you have to imagine will drop. Of course, when you're dropping off from such a high point, it might not be too huge of a concern. Um, I think you've summed up that there. We know that I'm pretty high on Michael Thomas. So we will move on uh, from Michael Thomas. We go to Todd Gurley. This one's really interesting just because there's so <laughs> many questions, right? I mean, this one, I think it's pretty easy to come up with it with the negatives. Yeah. I mean, uh, we don't know if he's healthy. They've already said that uh, there's like arthritic issues in his knee. Um, the team has said that. And he said that um, he clearly wasn't himself basically uh, from like week 11, week 12 on uh, 
you know, didn't see work in the Super Bowl. Um, the team did two really, um, I wouldn't even say bizarre, I'd say like troubling things um, from the perspective of Todd Gurley. One, they matched the offer for Malcolm Brown uh, and decided to pay him uh, as a backup running back, even though they could have let him go. Uh, and even though they did that, um, they decided to draft, not just draft, but draft with a top 100 pick and to trade up to draft uh, Daryl Henderson from Memphis, uh, who is a pretty explosive running back. Um, so, yeah, I think it's pretty easy to see how it is that Todd Gurley uh, could fail to see the work uh, this year that previously has bolstered him into like top three status as a running back. Definitely. And I think if you removed all of those things that we just talked about, Gurley could make a very compelling case for being the number one back overall. But I think at least for me, what we saw down the stretch is just true. It's just too troubling. Uh, If you're a person that's into saying actions speak louder than words, the team definitely has through their actions displayed that they have some significant concerns about Gurley. He just was not effective down the stretch. And it's, it's very conceivable that you know, whatever was ailing him or, you know, holding him back carries into 2019. So I think out of all the players that are in our top 12, he is the one that I have the most reservations about. And I think that you can make the most compelling case against. Yeah, I think that's fair. Ezekiel Elliott comes in at number five. I actually have him at number three. Um, Do you have him in your top three and then make the case against him? Yeah, um pretty sure I have him in my top three. I mean, I don't let me look and see at the the rankings that Roto is. Like I think it's yeah, I mean, I don't know why someone would not have him in their top three unless they're just going to be pretty high on um on wide receivers in general. <laughs> and then maybe they're going to think that um I don't know. I mean, like, they, okay, so I'll try to make the case against him. Yep. Uh, the Cowboys' offense could just be bad. Um, their offensive line has declined each of the past three years, uh, and so it could continue to decline. So he could have uh, less efficient runs. Um, and then the offense, uh, like, like the Cowboys won a lot of close games last year. Uh, and so that will regress assuming that they don't have as positive of a game script, uh, he could see fewer runs. Um, and, uh, let's say that like potentially he could see some of his goal line touches siphoned away either through Dak Prescott, keeping the ball and getting the touchdowns himself, uh, or, you know, like throwing it to Amari Cooper or like Jason Witten, Um, so yeah, I I mean, you can see how it could happen. And then we'll just say like the blanket statement for all of these running backs, like they're running backs, like half of these guys will miss multiple games. Um, so that is always like an option for him too. like, he just, he misses games, but, um, you know, if he doesn't miss games, he could still disappoint, uh, his draft position just based on inefficiencies in his offense. Yeah, and I actually um, think it's pretty interesting that uh, his splits with Amari Cooper, which might be one thing somebody would say is maybe the team starts going to Cooper more, getting him more involved. Uh, he actually was at 18.34 points yeah. per game last season with Cooper out of the split and at 25.35 in the split, which is pretty interesting. Uh, so that's probably counterintuitive for most people. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Amari Cooper really, uh, he helped that offense. Yeah. Um, and so if Cooper regresses, that's going to hurt the offense as a whole. Right. I think that is probably one of the other things that you could hold uh, against Elliott. Beyond that, there really wasn't too much that came to mind for me. So we will move on to DeAndre Hopkins, who we have at number four, which is also where I have him. He's our highest ranked receiver. For me, I think that uh, this is another player where it's hard to come up with substantial weaknesses. Um, One thing you could say is maybe if Will Fuller is around for a whole season, is able to stay on the field, Kike Kike Kute continues to progress, that that could be a problem. We start to see some of that work shift away from Hopkins as overall target volume comes down. Uh, But I, I think that he's a beast, so I just don't see that happening. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, the the one thing would be also like uh, maybe the quarterback gets injured and Brock Osweiler has to come in and, and throw the ball to him. But I mean, Hopkins has been like throughout his career, like such a, a quarterback, uh, right. like independent producer that really the only guy who submarined uh, his ability to produce was Brock Osweiler. Um, but obviously, uh, I think if Deshaun Watson gets injured, uh, that hurts his ability to produce. Um, and let's say like if the offense regresses as a whole and he sees fewer touchdowns, like that will, I think that will be big. I think regardless of whether the offense is good or bad, he's going to get his targets. Um, but I just think if the offense isn't as good, he's not going to score as many touchdowns, which I think that's where he would lose, uh, his ability to be like a high end fantasy wide receiver. Sure. Moving along, Alvin Kamara, uh, comes in at number three, a case that you could make against him. Um, some of the things that we said with Thomas would apply here. Maybe the offense starts to take some steps back. And maybe we see Latavius Murray getting more of the groundwork. Kamara gets a little uptick in targets, but net net, maybe that actually decreases the production. Obviously, he was off to a ridiculous start last year. Once Mark Ingram got back and involved, we saw him start to take a step back. So when you're talking about a player that's coming in uh, in in our rankings at number three, it's not going to take a lot to push him down that list. Any other thoughts uh, for Kamara? Yeah, uh, you mentioned the splits there with Ingram. Um, I think if Latavius Murray and I'd like to hear your thoughts on on Murray. I think he's going to play pretty much the Mark Ingram role. Like I yeah. don't think they're going to. I mean, maybe slightly less than Ingram, but you know, for years under Sean Payton, they've had uh, a backfield committee. I think they're going to continue to to use that because they don't want to overwork Kamara. So assuming Kamara actually doesn't like see the bump of being like the guy, he's just still basically what he has been uh, with another like big bodied guy there who gets a significant number of the backfield touches. Uh, I think we're going to see something pretty close to what we've seen out of Kamara from a usage standpoint, but like he could easily be less efficient. Like his efficiency has been unreal the last two years. And like, granted, he is an explosive player and he does get the ball in space, which I think helps with the efficiency. But um, if he regresses just a little bit from the efficiency standpoint, uh, that could really be big. And then another thing is, uh, as good as Ingram has been at, you know, like scoring touchdowns and it's debatable as to whether that's even a skill or not. But, um, as, as many touchdowns as Ingram has scored in the past five years, uh, Latavius Murray is 
basically just as good at scoring touchdowns. So I don't think we should assume that Kamara is going to get any more of the the red zone or goal line work uh, now that Mark Ingram is gone. So if Kamara is less efficient and he's not really seeing a boost, um, I think it's hard to justify him as the number three overall pick um, just because you could see how he plays as like, I don't know, the number six or number eight running back instead of like the number three running back. Yeah, so I, I am feeling pretty good about Latavius Murray. I actually have him higher than anybody. I ranked him in at 78. I think that uh, the Saints went out and got him to fulfill that Mark Ingram role. They could have brought Ingram back. They could have gone for somebody that was slightly less expensive. Murray was one of the bigger running back names out there, and I think that they did bring him in for a reason, and that is to use him largely in the rushing game so that they're not overwalk, uh, overworking Kamara, as you mentioned. Uh, and, and there's an interesting thing here too, which is if Kamara's rushing work it does go up, that likely does drop the efficiency. So, you know, even if they don't use Murray in the rushing game as much as they use Kamara, that might not be as productive for him as seeing more targets. That's kind of contrary to what I just said a couple of minutes ago. But ultimately for me, I think that Murray is going to get a lot of usage, which does kind of cap what we can see from Kamara. And I wonder if people ranking him in at three has more to do with how solid he was last season in the beginning and less to do with where he finished. Um, So I I do have some reservations uh, about him, especially ranking him in at three. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Christian McCaffrey in at number two. Um, I think you're going to want to start here if you're going against McCaffrey, maybe worrying about the size and about the durability and can he really get that many targets again? Um, But in this team, I think that he really should be the focal point. Um, Maybe they start using DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel a little bit more. Um, Can you make a you you can probably make a better argument than, than that, though, against McCaffrey. Yeah, I'm not really worried about the size. Um, you know, there have been smaller guys who have been lead backs and like McCaffrey's like bulked up since he entered the league. Um, I mean, I guess like if you want to be kind of contrarian, you could be like uh, the added bulk is going to hurt his uh, agility or something like that. But I think the main thing is uh, we don't really know yet uh, everything that's happening with Cam Newton. Um, you know, he's recovering from the, uh, the shoulder surgery, Um, I don't believe he's started throwing the ball yet. It's not as if like this is an Andrew Luck situation, but like it really wouldn't be surprising if uh, Newton missed multiple games this year. Uh, And like in a different offense, um, McCaffrey, I think, will just be far less efficient. That's a really great point, actually. Um, That definitely makes a lot of sense. And. I am Dude, kind you're, of. You're, is that your cat? Yeah, that no, that's the dog. Now the whole time, yeah. now she's out of the dog bed. She has been attacking me, licking me. Right now, she's pressing her. She's licking the mic right now. Um, yeah, blood pressure through the roof. So I'm just, I'm just gonna give up here and say that I think that's a really solid point on McCaffrey and a very valid concern. So and to, also, I think to, I'm to give, like a tip sorry on her to, right to now. give some some background uh, to people listening. So when. Uh, when David and I first started doing the show, um, which by the way, is it weird for me to call you David? Do you prefer David or Dave? I prefer Dave, but you kind of go back and forth, which I think is fine because you seem to be kind of like, um, you, you oscillate back and forth with Matthew and Matt, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cabin. Um, so, 
when, when we started doing the show, you were like, I've built this sound studio in my basement. <laughs> and you were like so thrilled with like all of the work that had gone into it. And and you were like describing everything. I'm like, oh wow, this this set like this I need to like up my my yeah. audio game. <laughs> and then I feel like early on, like there were these noises and it was like, what's that? Oh, it's the cat. And then I feel like <laughs> at some point like the walls just yes. fell down. Yes. So what happened was the structure had been built. It was like a fully framed type of wall and whatnot. And then I had that major flood. So I had to yeah. take it all down and then reconstruct it. And I reconstructed it in a way that was pretty half-assed. So the cat slowly over time basically just like dug his way and broke the broke through the wall. So for a <laughs> while, he was just like slowly working his way through this maybe like four-inch gap that he could start to push the wall back and then get in. And now there's basically just just free access, free entry. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, so my dreams were ruined and and now they basically just make like it they make it impossible to record. I kind of feel like I'm always distracted. There's normally one of them in my lap with my right hand I'm normally holding one of them from hitting their head against the mic. It's a disaster. Yeah. I, I don't even know how it is that we do this show, really. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> under, under these circumstances. <laughs> it's tough. It's a challenge. Um Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Eli um, Manning. <laughs> I think is what most people would point to. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be in a lesser offense. Um, so let's let's start with like the positives. He's yep. awesome, um, yeah. and we should expect to see a guy improve from year one to year two. Um, so, from like an efficiency standpoint, from like an awareness of the game perspective, like Barkley will probably be even better than he was last year. Um, okay. That said, even if he is like, even if he's a better football player, like we maybe shouldn't expect to see him score as many long touchdowns. Like we should expect there to be some natural regression there, um, in a lesser offense. And I think it is fair to say it will be lesser because it doesn't have Odo Beckham Jr. in it. Uh, and they've replaced Odo Beckham with Golden Tate who like, I like Golden Tate, but he's not like a one for one replacement at all for Odo Beckham. So in a lesser offense, um, they will just have fewer goal line opportunities in general, like fewer touchdowns. Um, so even, even though we are regressing the number of long touchdowns, Barkley is going to score. We should also probably just regress the number of touchdowns in general, uh, that he's going to score. Um, and as you mentioned, Eli Manning, uh, and it's not just Eli Manning, it's Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. Yep. Um, and so, uh, if Eli is bad, um, that won't, that probably won't be good for Barkley. Uh, and if Eli is so bad that they have to go to Daniel Jones, I don't know how good that's going to be for Barkley either. Um, so I, I mean, I think he's still, I would be surprised if he didn't finish in the top 12. Um, but um, you can, I mean, you can pretty easily make a case for why I think Zeke or McCaffrey, uh, should go ahead of Barkley. Yeah, I think that you could make that case and it certainly goes back to the quarterbacks. I fully think that if Daniel Jones does get thrust into the role of quarterback for the Giants, it's very possible that we're looking at a team that just struggles to even get a first down on any given drive, which naturally, no matter how good Barkley is, is going to be very tough to overcome. And if Eli continues to fall off the cliff um, with the natural 
regression that you said, you know, Barkley might finish closer to seven or eight. I don't really see him falling outside of the top 12, but um, as far as players go in our list for as good as he is, there's a lot of external forces that could really make or break his season. Um, maybe more so than with, um, you know, Kamara or McCaffrey. Um, so that takes us through the list. So we've been going through the negatives, Pick the one player that you feel the safest in saying that they will absolutely finish inside the top 12. Oh, uh, okay. Probably not a running back just because, I mean, although I'm, I'm heavy <laughs> on running backs, like it's so easy for one of these guys not to get there um, because it's easy for them to get injured uh, and they are so dependent on all of the other players within their offense. Um, I think I would go with Hopkins. Um, I mean, he's just, he's such a, a quarterback proof type of player, um, you know, and, and also like, just like, um, a, a receiver independent, uh, type of player. Like, uh, if Will Fuller's in there, great. That doesn't like, that doesn't impact DeAndre Hopkins production at all. Um, you know, the, the same with Kiki Cutie, like there, I mean, there are just so many ways to see how Hopkins, uh, could finish in the the top 10, top 12. Um, and I think, you know, top three for wide receivers, um, I think he has a very good chance for being there. So he's probably the one guy I would lock in. Like if I had to take anybody here, uh, it would probably be Hopkins. Okay. I think that's fair. Just to, to give us a different pick, I would actually say that for me, it's probably Michael Thomas because I do feel like... Um, well, I'm not going to go to I'm not going to go down the path. I just don't see it happening. Drew Brees getting knocked out um, for the season. So we're going to say Drew Brees stays in. And if that happens, I just don't see Thomas and the connection that they have um, not finishing in, inside the top 12. Final question for you. You have the first pick. Is it Saquon Barkley? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is for me too. I'd like to come up with some type of cute answer or some type of contrarian uh, point of view here. But for me, I think it just is Barkley. Um, when you look at what he will be able to do as a receiver, what we can expect him to do on the ground and just how incredible he is. Um, I just, I don't see some of those factors that we talked about holding him back. Yeah, I th I think the yeah, for me as and you hit on this, the big thing is that he is already like one of the best pass catching backs in the league. Uh and he might even get better somehow uh in that uh in that facet in his second year. Um and if that happens, he's he's pretty much like I mean, he's pretty much offense proof. Even if even if the Giants are bad, you would still expect Barkley to finish in the top five. Right. Like I don't even feel um any reservation saying that I think it's very possible Saquon Barkley's one of the best backs that we've seen in the last twenty five years. Yeah, right I think now. that he could I be one of the best backs of all time, honestly. Yeah, I mean I think that's that's fair. Um because I mean, very few people have been able to do what he did as a rookie and he did it as a twenty one year old rookie. Um, and it's a team that has basically been built around him or is, is currently being constructed around him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a surprise for him to be one of the best backs of like the last 25 years. Definitely. So Matt, have you watched game of Thrones? This uh, season I have. So far? Yeah, I you have. have, I'm through, um, I think I'm okay. I'm through the first two episodes at this point, um, without giving any spoilers or whatnot. Um, just, just what's been your your take so far? Are you enjoying it? Where are you? 
uh, I'm, I'm, uh, enjoying it to the extent that, uh, I don't know, like I'm, I've liked the series. Um, I liked the series better in the earlier seasons. And, um, I don't know, like I, I just, I'm happy to be watching it at this point in time when everyone else is watching it. Like I haven't really had that experience before with a lot of other, uh, other series, Um, so like that part is kind of fun, like watching a show and then seeing what the reaction is to everything on Twitter. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It's not as satisfying, uh, of a conclusion as I want it to be. And, uh, you know, there's one episode left. I don't think it's going to be all that satisfying. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know. I'm still like, I'm enjoying it. You know, like I, I have the wherewithal to see shortcomings in, uh, what they're doing with characters or like plot development or, you know, uh, the failure for people to have like good military tactics or whatever. Like I can, like (laughs) I can see all of that and be like, yeah, that's a flaw, but I, I still don't, I, I kind of don't care, um, for all the flaws. I just, I'm happy to be watching the show and for it to be over soon (laughs) that's basically where i am um you know i feel like i've been trying to avoid seeing anything on it but i can tell you know obviously like on twitter and whatnot there's a lot of negativity about it and i think at some point we need to take a step back and at least for me it's just like you know what like i'm accepting especially going into this season this is not the show that it was when it first started but like still um like just watching it to me is more fun if I just let myself go and not worry about like, oh, you know, would this have happened in the books? Would this have carried on? Um, yeah. It's still like, you know, a show with great production value. I mean, clearly a tremendous budget. I think that the actors are all interesting. They do really well with their roles. So like, it's just fun to watch. So that would be my statement. You know, it's just yeah. just let it go. Like, just enjoy it. I, I mean, I would say like there are a few um... – there, there are a few moments where it's like, okay, that almost makes everything worth it. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. there, there are some like really good moments where it's like, yes, like this is, this is what we deserved as viewers. Um, and then there were some moments where it was like, okay, like, you, like I understand complaints about um, uh, just about like things in the story, this and that, whatever. But then there are some moments where um, there's like an interaction between two characters and it's like no or there's like a failure to have an interaction between two characters it's like no like that is not that is not realistic like that is not what would have happened um or or things should have gone differently so like that is more where i have like the sort of nitpicky reaction um not on like the bigger things but on, on the small things i hear you i hear you and also like at this point there's there's a number of characters that that should be dead at this point. Yeah. Um, what will redeem the, well, yeah. What would like truly redeem the series for me is if they have it, things end and like the, the living do not survive that or somehow if they orchestrate like the most amazing thing ever where like Cersei takes over everything, I think um, would be an interesting if they were able to pull that off in some way. That's not just like everybody kills themselves off and then yeah. she takes over. Yeah. Uh, entering the season, I would have bet against both of those things. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying I, I would have bet against those happening. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it would be very in the zeitgeist of the original books if you just had like, y- you know, everything that maybe readers or viewers are rooting for just gets blown up in their face. Yeah. I mean, I think that is um, that's still possible within where we are. It's still possible for a lot of things to to kind of go against what people want. 
Right. Um, final question on Game of Thrones for you. You have not read the books as we've discussed before because they're too long. Yeah. Um, any chance that you will ever ever revisit that? Uh, I really doubt it. Um, just because like I don't read books I even want to read. Um, you know, like stuff that I feel would be good for my, uh, like my mental mm-hmm. uh, acuity or for like my career in terms of like learning a skill. Like I just don't right. have time for that. So I can't justify reading uh, a book series that isn't even finished, um, especially when I've seen the like the television version <laughs> of that series. Yes, I've been waiting for The Winds of Winter to uh, arrive for a long time. So that definitely is a good point. Yeah. Um, I have some follow-up questions on that that I will save for a, a later show. So on that note, unless you have any important uh, announcements or things to share, we will close it down. Uh, no, I, oh, I should say this isn't important, but, uh, for the first time in the show, while you were doing one of the ad reads, uh, I got up and, uh, went to get some water, uh, and, and came back and you were still doing the ad read. Oh, so, nice. uh, so yeah, first, first time in the show history. All right. That's a, that's a good little fun fact. I wonder how many episodes we're at now. Uh, you and me, or just the show? No, uh, you the and Road me. Is radio. You uh, and me. When did when did I we think it start? was probably around this time last year. Was I think it, it was okay. maybe late April. So we're probably, I would say, with a couple episodes off, maybe around fifty. Yeah, 52. that's that's, uh, that's pretty momentous. Yeah, I mean, that the, is the channel in general. Like it's got to be in the thousands. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So anyway, that will. <laughs> That will do it for today's show. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Be sure to check out RotoViz, and if there's any topics you want us to discuss or questions you'd like for us to answer, send an email to RotoVizRadio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not fantasy if you believe it. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.